Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Behavioral Grooves is all about bringing greater insight to why we do what we do. In the past 160 plus episodes, we've recorded conversations with Hall of Fame researchers, best-selling authors, and world-class practitioners from five different continents to bring you application ideas that can improve your work and life. To help us with our mission to share these conversations, we ask that you join the growing number of people who are patrons of Behavior Groups. Just drop by www.patron.com forward slash Behavior Grooves to join the others who are already supporting our efforts to expand our community. Say, Kurt, uh, can we take a moment for a conspicuous plug here? Uh, you are always welcome to uh, take a moment. And I think you're meaning to you want to talk about the fantastic review that we got last week? That's exactly what I had in mind. I want to talk about that review. Sure. Why not? So we received a wonderful review from a listener in Mexico who goes by Fur Flynn, and this is what they had to say. I love to hear how they nerd about behavioral science. It's a very professional podcast and the hosts make it also very enjoyable. They bring rough behavioral science to examples of everyday life. I find it incredibly useful that after the interviews, they chat about the most interesting points. I highly recommend it. That is very kind. And I love this concept of they nerd out about behavioral science and yet we're a professional podcast. Hey, there we go. That's awesome. Thank you for Flynn. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to join those who have left reviews, because there's you know more and more every day, just scroll to the bottom of the app that you're listening to on this podcast and you'll find a place to leave a five-star rating and a quick review. Yes, and you can do it right now while Tim and I are chugging through the introduction because that's the most boring part of the conversation anyway. Be a multitasker. You can do it. Go, do it now. I hope you're not driving somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they're not either. All right, so let's get back on track. In this episode, we have a conversation with Shlomi Ron, the CEO of Visual Storytelling Institute in Miami. He co-founded the Institute after 20 years of digital marketing with some of the largest brands in the world. The purpose of the Institute is to help business leaders get above the noise through the power of storytelling and visual media. Shlomi is also an author, and his latest book is Total Acuity, Tales with Marketing Morals. And in it, he offers some excellent real-world stories that reinforce the principles of visual storytelling. So with that, we hope you visit our Patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash behavioral grooves. Big plug there. To become a subscriber and to leave a review before you go. And with that, sit back Enjoy your wonderful, visually acute drink of whatever choice you have and listen to our conversation with Shlomi Ron. Shlomi Ron, welcome to Behavioral Groups. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, fantastic. Well, Shlomi, can you start by just giving our listeners, tell them what, what is visual storytelling? What What is this idea around visual storytelling? Yeah, visual storytelling is kind of interesting uh, concept. When I started uh, about four years ago, you know, I would Google and you typically find references to graphic design, photography, or filmmaking. And what I wanted to do at the time is is really bring visual storytelling from the world of arts 
and entertainment into marketing. So my specific niche is really visual storytelling in the context of marketing. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so you founded VSI uh, yep. in order in order to to do that. Uh, tell us about why you founded it. Yeah. So, after you know almost a century of advertising that's mostly focused on paid, uh, when we entered the era of social media, the the power balance between the brands and consumer has been a little bit uh, changed in a sense that now consumer has also the power to communicate and create content. And that created a major uh, communication noise. So the problem that I'm trying to solve is this massive clash between two forces. On one hand, information overload, which is pretty much <laughs> make all of us kind of drowning content every day, right, including right. ads. And on the other side, it, we experience fragmented attention span. So that's what's created the, the communication noise. So marketers needed to figure out a way how they can break through the clutter. And when paid media, what I call interruption marketing, is really not that effective anymore just because of a lot of the problems of ad blocking, you know, ad fraud and others. There's banner blindness as well. So marketers looked for other ways to engage audiences. So they looked next door to Hollywood, how they've been producing films and movies uh, for ages and how they can engage, how they engage audiences. So visual storytelling is really, my definition is any marketing strategy that has three components. The first one is that you use a three act story structure, which is setting conflict resolution. Two, that you put your customer as the hero of the story. So it's not the brand, the brand is just a guide or a mentor. And three, is that to use a visual media format to communicate your story through. And that could be images, videos, all the way up to VR and AR. And the idea, the bigger idea behind this is that we know that our brain is wired to process visual information 60,000 times faster than text. And two, we also know that nine out of 10 people prefer information packaged as stories versus stats and facts. Mm. And, and those two things together operate almost like a Trojan horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so given the fact that our brain processes visual images much faster and given the fact that most people prefer that, there's, there's power then is what I'm hearing you say, that the, that the yeah. ability to break through, as you talked about, the information overload yep. uh, resides in this idea of telling a story through visual aspects. And I love the idea of using the, that you have to, your three components, right? The three-act storytelling structure, the yep. customer as the hero, uh, and using a visual media format. What, where do you see the biggest breakdown from you know, organizations when they're trying to do, maybe not trying to do visual storytelling, but they're just trying to do advertising, or if they are trying to use visual storytelling, where, where do they miss the mark most of the time? So some there's a, a long heritage from a, the classic way of producing ads that are really very polished and very high production value. But I think today audience is looking for much deeper meaning and, and authenticity. Okay. And you can achieve that by really talking about uh, stories. And, and actually, I, I wrote a blog post about 10 types of uh, brand stories that you can actually create. Okay. Uh, and this could be from backstage stories showing how you create your product, uh, employee stories, uh, 
there is a winning stories, failure stories. Any, anytime you share vulnerability or weakness, it opens up a, a humanity window to your audience. So, and, and basically when you create stories that uh, talks to the hearts and minds of, of your audience, there is a better chance of connecting. And my philosophy always has been is that stories are really nothing but mirrors. And the magic happens the moment your brand story mirrors your customer's personal story. So anytime that you are hitting somebody, it's basically, it's just a mirroring effect. Mm. There is something in their past, in their personal experience that really mirror exactly the, the story you're talking about. And good example is, you know, let's talk about the, the world of high art. Sometimes, you know, those big ticket art collectors buy this multi-million dollar piece that looks very abstract, but they tell you, it just spoke to me. Mm. And what does it tell you? That's another evidence of that mirror effect. Yeah. So... So that, that's the effective. So there are certainly things that are just more effective when it comes to right. uh, good storytelling. And the mirror is is really the, the, the catalyst for that. Can exactly. you give us another example of, of storytelling uh, that reveals authenticity? Can you give us an example of that? Yeah. So one of the great examples that uh, it's kind of uh, the holy grail example that I'm using with the, my students and clients uh, in our workshops is uh, the Dove Sketches mm. ad from 2013. It's won pretty much any possible award and also gained a ton of uh, customers. So the idea there was really that uh, based on the research of Ogilvy Toronto, they found that their target audience were women, that uh, they wanted to get uh, to understand how they feel about themselves. And they found that uh, basically 98% of the people, of the women they surveyed uh, have a, a very low impression about how they looked. Mm. And only 2% were really happy. <laughs> yeah. so, so with that intelligence, they came up with a, a story where they brought in a, a sketch writer that's coming from a, that used to sketch a police, a, like a, portraits of a suspects. And then he asked, uh, so he first drew the, the first group of, uh, of uh, uh, women, and then he asked uh, other women that saw that uh, first group uh, how they looked like to describe it, and based on that, he sketched another uh, sketch. And the big aha moment was that when you compared the, the sketches of the first group, how they saw themselves versus the other group that saw them, you know, the, the difference was really mind-boggling. And this is a great story that really the, there is a kind of a, a reveal moment towards the end mm. where it also works on the vulnerability aspect that I talked earlier, you know, weaknesses that you express allows people to say, hey, how, how, how am I performing in this category? And, and it allows you, again, that mirror effect that I talked about. It also has this, uh, what I call story duality, you know, the story you tell yourself versus this, the story other people tell themselves about you. You see that difference very clearly in this example. And it's a great, uh, you know, story that uh, really brings the value of the brand because the product was not mentioned at all in that ad. Yeah. 
So. Yeah, I, it, you have it actually. Is it's in one of your blogs, and I just watched it. It is yep. powerful. It is yeah. one of those, and I remember it. Right? I, you know, I yeah. haven't I haven't viewed it in in years, but I do remember it from yeah. back when I saw it at, at one point. But this the concept of these women describing themselves to the sketch yep. artist, and then uh, somebody who had just met them in the waiting room coming exactly. back in, and then describing them. And the difference in the way that they described yep. uh, themselves versus how somebody else described them. And then the visual output of that was really, as you said, it, it was that that moment where it was this yep. unveil. And they unveiled it not just to the people watching the video, but to the women themselves. And the emotional response that they had, I think, was part of the, the impact that was there. You could see in their faces exactly. that they were looking at how they obviously viewed themselves much differently than these other people had. So, so that I, I love that example because I think you're getting at some of those key pieces that there's an emotional component to storytelling yeah. that brings, that pulls people into the story as opposed to just trying to convey information and various different aspects of it. I'm, I'm assuming that's what that's part of this. Absolutely. And actually when you communicating a story or it could be anything, I mean, actually there's a, Great example from uh, you probably all seen you know the recent uh, viral video of Justin Trudeau <laughs> responding yeah. with that long pause twenty seconds almost I think and I actually responded uh, to somebody that posted it on LinkedIn and and, and what really happens here and it happens actually in any time that you are asked to uh, process new information it could be an ad it could be a book somebody asks you a question. The way we actually process uh, new information is by really parsing it against our past experiences. Mm. And at the lowest level, there are stories that related to this uh, question or new information. And these stories are, they actually contain details that really uh, carry high emotional level. So in, in the Justin Trudeau, he probably kind of rewind stories of uh, interacting with uh, Trump in the past uh -huh. and some right. high level of emotion uh, load. And then from those, those emotional details, he actually extracted subjective meanings. What does it really mean to me? And you could see in that video that he has like at least three tries where he almost revealed his true thoughts and he kind of <laughs> hold, held himself. And eventually, you know, the last level is really his his final action where he actually came up with a very responsible official response. But that's what we're constantly doing. You know, we constantly processing new information against our past database of memories and emotions actually function. I call them like hashtags mm. because you remember details based on high level of emotions that you had at the time. And your final action is really the edited story you're telling the world because mm -hmm. obviously there are some parts that you want to keep to yourself they're not politically correct for other reasons and you're always editing your story outside to the outside world yeah yeah, yeah that that is very cool so in this in this world of a coronavirus pandemic yep where what role do you think uh, visual storytelling could play i think it's crucial because you know, if we think about uh, the timeline that we discussed earlier, we just uh, came out from the first phase, which was a complete lockdown where mm -hmm. everybody, it was uh, the novelty effect that people looked for encouragement. 
And you could see some of the ads were really about uh, comfort, you know, that somber piano that we saw in the Apple ad. There's a bunch of others that use the same theme. And just we are together, all these, uh, you know, high purpose uh, messages. But now we just uh, transition to the reopening, which is a new phase where we can still go out, but this is, it's life in half capacity. So mm. a lot of people don't know how to react yet. And we don't know there's some threats of uh, maybe a second wave. So if you overlay this, and the third phase is once we're going to have a, a vaccine or, or drugs, uh, and that's going to take us to another phase. But right now we're just in the middle. And if you just overlay the three-act story structure I described earlier, right now we kind of move from the first part, which was uh, the conflict. We know how it started. Now we're kind of in the middle and we don't have the resolution of the story yet. We're still in the, in the midst of uh, experiencing it. So a lot of brands have been, you know, some of them uh, focused on the donation in variety of uh, flavors. Some of them straight, uh, like what Twitter did, you know, donating a couple of millions. Uh, others try to do a combo experiences where uh, Coursera, for example, donated uh, courses to health workers. So it's their product and donation. Mm. Others change the product line completely, like Mercedes, to uh, manufacture a needed, uh, uh, I think it was uh, like breathing machines and inhalators. Yeah. Inhalators. Yeah. 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 So, so these are on the cost marketing. But uh, the interesting part on the other space that I've seen kind of interesting, like Audi created like a six hours ambient video where it was actually shot through uh, the windows of a moving Audi in Australia, which is okay. kind of interesting to kind of a relaxing. It's really untraditional, which has caught my attention. And what uh, Dominus did, which also interesting, they actually they created the entire ad through Zoom. And basically it's having their franchisees uh, telling a, uh, the audience that uh, they are hiring, they're actually not only helping to put uh, food on the table of people that looking for comfort food, but also they're hiring. Uh, so that's kind of uh, solving two problems in one ad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which company was that? Which, which uh, company was that? Domino's. Ah, oh. Domino's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. yeah. So, so variety. Yeah. So show me how, why, why would visual storytelling be more impactful at this time than just, hey, an ad going out there saying we're hiring, you yeah. know, we're doing all these other things. What What is it and, and why do, why should we care? Yeah, so I think right now, because of the, the communication, communication noise that, that I outlined that really makes people attention span really uh, sneaky in a way, because when you think about attention span, just to kind of break it down, we have two types of content, content that we seek, like, you know, binging on Netflix for six hours versus <laughs> content we don't seek, like ads that kind of thrown at us. So brands and advertising in general is in the second camp. So how they can really get, you know, the, the value of attention span from content we seek, the first group. So they try to emulate that experience. Mm. So the way they do it is by creating brand stories that use a lot of high value entertainment in them. So they are perceived as entertainment, like short films 
almost, and not like ads. So the moment you experience a visual story that feel like an entertainment, all of a sudden your guards are coming down. This is not an ad. I can give it more of my attention. So that's the philosophy between visual, visual storytelling and a paid media on Facebook, for example. That's so interesting. Uh, thinking about how uh, brands can sort of trick a consumer mm -hmm. by making their ad look like entertainment yeah. uh, and then sort of could the same be used, do you think, uh, in something that's more pro-social, like getting people to wash their hands or, or wearing masks or things like that? Yeah. The, actually, there was a, another viral example from a, the TV series from a couple of years ago, Scrubs. That kind of hit the, you know, the web. Uh, it just showed just a, a clip of uh, the importance of uh, washing your hands and how easily you can actually infect people. And they use this in this episode, uh, this uh, material that was uh, glowed. So every time they, the actors uh, interact with each other, they, you could see how they easily infecting each other. And that kind of in early, you know, weeks of uh, the pandemic created a lot of buzz. So it had a, it was not an ad, but it was a great example of how you can communicate a story with a big message. This was, I would say, an accidental example, mm -hmm. but you can easily create a, a, vis a visual story with a, social uh, responsibility, like washing your hands by creating an actual story. Because yeah. the, the idea behind visual storytelling also is that you are showing versus telling. You see the difference? Yeah. And, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll piggyback on that because at the very beginning of the pandemic, there are a couple of videos that were out there. And again, I don't think they're yeah. maybe not fall into the traditional category, but they were these people and they use paint or other things to show how we typically wash our hands and we, you know, just yeah. rubbing our hands together. And then you see where the paint was. Exactly. And, and most of their hand was still not covered with paint. And so then right. they, then they start going in and out between their fingers and you show that and then it still is. Exactly. And then they go back and around and then their thumbs are still. And so it's, so it's the visual, it's, it's the showing yeah. part of actually saying, Wow, I am yep. really bad yep. at washing my hands <laughs> right. because I do yeah. it that first way, and I need to change. And I've I've subsequently changed. I mean, when I wash my hands now, I I have a whole, you know, it's not just the twenty second. It's I'm actually thinking about how do I get to all those right. spots that I didn't before because of those visual aspects of seeing. Yeah. Um, and we've talked to other people about this idea that a lot of the things that are going on from a behavioral perspective is that it's invis invisible to us. And so mm -hmm. making the invisible visible is a really important aspect of this. And I hear that's yep. what's going on with some of what you're talking about as well. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's been a great, uh, actually gave several webinars about uh, brand storytelling in the times of Corona. And, you know, there's so many examples that uh, of great visual stories, uh, but the principle that really you can think of, you can have the brand tell the story, but you can also have a great story where you just change the storyteller. Like the example mm -hmm. of the dominoes, you know, where the franchisees are actually producing the ad and actually telling the story. So once you change the storyteller, you want you're actually getting a fresh perspective that it's not, you know, coming from your official marketing department, obviously they blessed it, but it's something that it's much more authentic. So 
when you change the storyteller of the story, could be employees, partners, customers, it's almost like you adding another camera angle to the story. Mm. So this is that, something that is, is very powerful. Yeah. So right now, uh, as we're taping this, we're also going through a whole civil unrest uh, after yeah. the, the, the death of George uh, Floyd. Yeah. Um, how do you see visual storytelling playing out here, particularly as it relates to maybe not brand so much, but just news media and yeah. social media, uh, all of the protests and various different pieces that are going on? Where do you, How do you see it impacting that? Well, there's a couple of points I'd like to bring up. You know, first of all, we saw that the outbreak started only with a, you know, horrendous say, passing of George Floyd. And why is that? Because there is a video that actually showed you step yeah. by step of the story. It didn't happen with the others. So I think that's another example why the power of visual story to really ignite and mobilize uh, audiences. So that's one, the first part. The other part is that we saw a lot of uh, examples by major brands. You know, they first start by, we are uh, behind, uh, we are against, uh, you know, police violence and, and Black Lives Matter. They start with the words. That's also mm. the same way how they started with the coronavirus outbreak. They start with mm. words, but the people actually in the public are looking for actions, not just words. And we saw this also just recently with this uh, civic unrest. So, for example, once celebrities started posting on Instagram, you know, we are all behind uh, supporting and all that, they got some backlash from people saying, open your purse. <laughs> Words yeah. are not enough. So, so that's also affected brands. And we started seeing, you know, YouTube, for example, donating a million dollar for variety of uh, causes. Uh, we saw a uh, Glossier, which is a luxury a makeup company, also donating a million dollar breaking down a with two a nonprofit organizations. So I think this is a great uh, example of, of the dynamics of where you have a crisis situation. Brands first start very responsibly, kind of probably checking not to annoy anyone with the very uh, cautious words of solidarity, but. Once that settles in and people absorb that, they want actions. Yeah. And, and that's where it counts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Shlomi. Uh, it, it really, and we have a lot on the line right now, right? Yeah. This is, uh, this is a, a, a pretty tense time. Um, I wanted to switch for just a little bit. Uh, you, you've noted in one of your blogs about how visual stories have been told in, in among humans for 35,000 years. Yeah. And yet, yet we've only had text for about 3,000 years. So you'd think DNA-wise, we would be predisposed to starting <laughs> everything. Like everybody would just say, well, I'm going to default to stories. And yet our current culture with only 3000 years of using text and and words really start with words everybody starts with words why do you think that is yeah i think it's because words and actually i wrote an academic uh, paper a couple of years ago about uh, visual grammar mm. and the reality of uh, of that is that words still have superiority to visuals just because you can actually make sure that the, the exact meaning you want to communicate is 
delivered with visuals, yes, it, it's, you know, one image worth a thousand words. It's true, but it's more, it lends itself sometimes to interpretation. Mm. And mm. with words, it's a very concise, finite uh, scope of meanings. That's how I see it. Even though I should say, there is a, you're probably familiar with the social semiotics, right? I am not. Please, no. please explain. <laughs> okay. This is, this is a whole a field, you know, as behavioral scientists, you should be aware of. I know. I feel yeah. I'm, I need to do some homework. Yeah. So <laughs> anytime, I mean, we are basically constantly uh, processing meanings, any new information that comes around us. And I always like to use the example of uh, when I, I show my students uh, the logo of uh, Snapchat mm -hmm. and ask them, what is it? And so every object around you, you know, the picture behind you, any object pretty much has two layers of meanings. One is the objective meaning. So when I ask the students, what is this Snapchat logo? They immediately say, oh, this is Snapchat. But that's the objective, just you recognizing this is Snapchat logo. Every object in the world carries also a subjective meaning. Okay. So for me, I would say Snapchat, I don't understand what's the big deal with it. It's still <laughs> not really, you know, making sense to me. But for a teenager, it might say, I live there. Or if it's TikTok, I live there. This is my whole life. So you see how the subjective meanings change from one person to another. So as we process new information, you know, this variety in meanings really like the example we talked about Trudeau, really inform your decision, how you're gonna act and what edited story you're gonna to communicate to the outside world. So it's really important to, when you think about, uh, you wanna influence your audience, you need to get down to their subjective meanings. And, and there's a tricky part here because when you think about, when you interview your audience to glean some more information from them, you can do it directly with interviews. You can search so on social, see what they say. But there is the explicit country where you can actually hear them, what they say and what they do. That's the explicit expressions of possibly what they think about the topic. But there's yeah. also the implicit area. I call it the blind, the blind country, which is what they think and feel. And sometimes mm -hmm. there's a conflict between the explicit and the implicit. Yeah. So, <laughs> so your job, if you wanna really create that uh, effective mirroring effect that I told you, that they can see themselves in your story, is to get down to capturing the subjective meaning of the problem you're trying to solve and to yeah. get them on your camp. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting you bring up Snapchat. And Snapchat, so just make sure I fully, I'm. I'm doing this right. Their logo is that ghost, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's this ghost. So in Minneapolis a few years ago, they had billboards up that mm -hmm. just had their logo, but didn't say Snapchat or anything yep. else. I yep. did not know Snapchat's logo. Yeah. And I we we were going driving around and my wife and I, we had talked <laughs> about it, neither of us knew. Yep. Um, and yet I'm sure that was targeted, but to your point of this, this interpretation, you interpret it one way, yep. you know, a 14, 15 year old may interpret it a different way. Exactly. And then there's people like me who, who just look at it and I'm going, what is that? And so you get into some of those, those 
pieces of how yeah. are those visual representations being understood to yeah. you to to your point and i think that's really and and going back to the implicit versus explicit aspect too that is a key piece of yeah. any of this as we're moving forward which I think is really interesting, and I'm, I'm going to bring it back to the the social unrest that's going on. Yep. Because um, I think there has been a, a a change, and maybe I'm maybe I'm misinterpreting this because I'm in the epicenter here in in mm -hmm. Minneapolis, but this one feels different, and I think it may feel different because I think there's some uh, instead of this explicit. Uh, acknowledgement yeah there's bad things that go on and, and yep. you know cops are treating you know our black americans worse than us and it's very right. rational yeah um, there's more of an, an implicit feeling of of oh my gosh as to you as you pointed out we had a video of this whole encounter yeah that hit us at a much more deeper level than a description of that that would have just been you know told on the nightly news oh, or an article yeah yeah. Yeah. So yeah, once, once you see the, the, the video, you actually can put yourself in his place. And, and it's again, you know, the power of story because yeah. it's really transport the viewer. What if it would have happened to me? Yeah. So, so, yeah, so that, 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 uh, that's the identification part is super powerful. And that's why it really ignited, you know, the whole world pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. When you founded uh, VSI, you. Yep. It, you have a very pro-social stance. You have you've got academic outreach. It's it's not just about helping businesses, but it's about helping students and and training. Yeah. And you're doing some work right now with Avenue Three in Miami yeah. Yeah. Uh, to help on their Thousand Stories project. And uh, it hasn't launched yet, but can you tell us a little bit about that because I think it's really exciting. Yes, yeah, so Avenue Three Miami is a nonprofit organization that uh, their mission is to uh, revive uh, downtown Miami on three areas. One, reduce homelessness, uh, help uh, redesign the downtown area, and also uh, reduce crime level. So the Thousand Stories campaign is is really about uh, focusing on the homeless part and just. Out of comparison, in LA, we're talking about about 50,000 uh, homeless people, which is a staggering number. In Miami, we have about 4,000, and about 1,000 of them are unsheltered, living on the street. So yeah, the purpose of this campaign, because we're talking about 1,000 people only, make it achievable for people to participate, donate, and volunteer. So instead of just going straight and telling them, you know, the stats, you know, help us reduce thousand people living on the street. We actually use the power of visual storytelling. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we started the, the thousand Miami stories where we want to feature stories of homeless people. And the stories are structured with a very specific logic that the first few seconds, and that's true for any story you're telling, by the way, the hottest, re the hottest real estate in terms of attention span of your audience mm -hmm. lives on the first few seconds of your story. So mm -hmm. you want to use that real estate effectively by communicating high level of emotion. And that emotion could be angry, surprise, sad, whatever emotion you want to focus on, you want to do it on the first few seconds because your audience is fully in tune to the first things you're going to tell them. So 
that's what we did with all the home stories. They're all structured this way. The first part is about, tell us about your most emotional moment. And that's what, boom, start right away. Mm-hmm. And then we move to the second part of the story. How did you became, how did you become homeless? And we finish by asking the homeless person, what do you want people to know about your situation? So that's the call to action. So yeah. this three-act story structure was really effective. So we started with an animated story, which is, again, the marquee story we're going to use uh, to launch the campaign. And all the other stories are actually uh, taped by another homeless person, which is another interesting angle. So uh, it's actually... Yeah. He's yeah. talking their language, but he's asking them the three questions I just tell, told you. So by design, the story is going to be come together uh, to follow the visual storytelling uh, effectiveness. Yeah. So we talk a lot about music on, on the show, mostly because Tim yep. um, talks about music on the show. <laughs> but uh, with that, how does music play into... Uh, visual storytelling, particularly as you were just commenting about this idea of this real estate that is prime up at the beginning and yeah. we know music can be emotive and you're talking about having those emotive elements. How, how do you use music as part of this storytelling uh, arc? Yeah. One part I didn't mention, you know, is I'm a great uh, fan of classic Italian cinema. This is another angle why I, I started the visual storytelling. I always I started by taking Italian language classes for over 10 years, once a week. And then I kind of uh, started my own blog, CafePelicola.com, where I reviewed films from, you know, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. And, and those films are really great in re- conveying emotional uh, situations through really fascinating soundtracks. So I can name you tons of uh, Italian composers from the 60s just for... <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so, so much into just because yeah, of, because of their yeah, values, you know, Nino Rota, Rusticelli, there's a bunch of them. So I, I'm a great, you know, fan of using soundtrack uh, to really elevate uh, visual stories. And I think the the power of that is it really helps to kind of uh, ingrain the story in your memory. So a few days afterwards, if you had a great uh, soundtrack that really supported your story, maybe high point, the climax, uh, the initial inc- incident even, it makes the story becomes more memorable. And I can give you another example that uh, actually it's a great uh, visual story, but done in a different way. Because one thing that uh, you need to keep in mind, I told you that uh, every visual storytelling has needs to have the three parts but they don't necessarily need to be present. Sometimes the story just shows you the resolution and you need to complete the story in your mind of how it started. So that becomes more interactive mental play. So a good example was uh, the New York Times actually did a couple of years ago, uh, their entire uh, Sunday magazine edition was uh, showing, I think it's called Voyages, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the entire magazine was uh, dedicated to photographs. And they ask you on each photograph to go to a web page and listen to the soundtrack that came from that photo. And, ah. and some commentary from some expert. 
So the idea here is that you can pretty much, you know, close your eyes, listen to the soundtrack, and develop a story in your head of what it feels to be in that place. And they had some uh, volcano eruptions and all kinds of uh, very, you know, sense-fostering experiences that makes you realize sometimes you don't need to use words. It's really about staging the right or curating the right experience and the audience come up with a story in their head. Yeah. Shlomi, thank you so much for being a part of Behavioral Grooves today. This has absolutely been a, a, a treat for us, and we really appreciate your Yeah, and Shlomi, how can people, if they wanted to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? What's the best way of, of reaching out? Yeah, uh, my email address is uh, shlomi, S-H-L-O-M-I, at visualstoryteller.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. You know, feel free to reach out. I'll be more than happy to connect. Uh, Visualstorytale.com is my website. Uh, I'm also, as you mentioned earlier, uh, hosting uh, the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. Uh, if you want to stay on a closer contact, uh, I have a weekly newsletter. You can check it out where I share some uh, of my ideas, insights, and our events, webinars, and so forth. Well, great. Well, we'll have all of that in the show notes. So, again, thank you. This has been really informative and, and really fun. And, so and I, would, I would also mention that I have a, a new book just uh, published. Oh, yes, yes. We talked about it at the beginning, but yeah, yep, go, yeah. go plug that. Yeah, it's Total Acuity. And it's really an interesting take, uh, unlike uh, the typical business books that uh, have a very heavy on stats and interviews with experts, I took completely the other way. And just use uh, personal stories that I experienced in very mundane, uh, ordinary, but they all have uh, some uh, very powerful visual storytelling principle. And not only that, you know, the cover story, the the book cover is actually using medieval design coming from the illuminated script tradition. That kind of is another level of uh, interplay between past and present that I thought is interesting uh, to include in this book. So it's a great uh, book to just kind of uh, get a sense uh, into what is visual storytelling again by showing, experiencing stories or so just reading about uh, frameworks and uh, theories. Fantastic. Well, again, we'll have that uh, link in the show notes so our, our listeners can go out and, and click on that. But thank you. Excellent. No, it's been a pleasure. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on the conversation we had with Shlomi Ron and talk about some other interesting things that come to our really visually impacted minds. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's particularly ironic and wonderful that we're doing it on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But we're doing a Zoom of this podcast for our YouTube channel um, for all of those who are our are not aware, we do have a Behavioral Groove YouTube channel, and we are just starting to put our grooving sessions out there uh, that actually have our visual, our pictures. Look at smiley faces. There we go. How much, how, gosh, you know, there's still like this part of me that there's not enough meat in the sauce when it comes to the visual visual side of me, of this bug. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. At least you have hair. Uh, come on, I, I, I'm just the bald, you know, ugly guy here. You're, you're the perfectly professorial beard too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I showered today, so that was good. You know, <laughs> at least I'm I'm looking all right. <laughs> okay, oh, all right, but we digress. But we digress. So let's let's talk about uh, Shlomi. What what did you find interesting on this? Well, I, first of all, I really love how he's super pro social. He's got this very, you know, all of his business endeavors have a very pro-social bent to them. And I just thought that that was really cool. Um, but the very first thing that I wanted to talk about was that good stories are mirrors. Yeah. Right. This, this, this comment is really important. Yeah. You, yes. Well, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, that uh, stories have been around for a long time. Right. And, and I was just looking to see, well, how long have stories been around? So human language has been around for about 2 million years. That's, Whoa, it's a long damn time, right? And then, okay, so then, like, what's the next bracket in, in my mind was art. When, when did humans start having art, right? When did we start becoming visual in some way? Uh, and that was about 43,000 years ago. Okay. They're, they're estimating. And then music, by the way, just because. Uh, you, you would know about music. <laughs> this would, I mean, it is behavioral groups. Music came about, they think, around 40,000 years ago. Okay. So not long after the, the cave drawings started. But the written word didn't start until only 5,000 years ago. Yeah. So when it comes to storytelling, the language is deeply embedded in our DNA from 2 million years ago. And the visual side of it is, you know, really 43, 40, 43,000 years. That encompasses well, and, all of our modern history. So but, but, DNA on that too. Yeah, but you even go, I mean, the the language has been around and the storytelling that was happening there was visual because you had to be in proximity of the person. And so you're oh. looking at the person, you're looking at their facial cues, you're looking at all those. And and the interesting part that Shlomi also talked about was that, you know, look, we process visual information about what, 60,000 times faster than text. You know, nine and 10 people prefer information in a story rather than just facts. So this idea that we've evolved uh, to process these stories uh, visually, but also, you know, oratory, the, you know, listening to them as opposed to just text, I think is really important. And, and this fact that they are mirrors, that they're this, um, it's a story that reflects back onto us, right? This idea that the narrative that we're telling is a story about maybe somebody else. It might be a, a fantasy story. It might be uh, a business case story, but somehow that mirror reflects on who we are and as, as an individual, as a person. And, and those are really, really powerful pieces of, of thinking about this. It's pretty magical. When I, uh, you and I have, I, I know that you and I have worked with people uh, that are tremendous storytellers and tremendously persuasive because of that storytelling ability. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think about one, one guy in particular, you never felt like you were being persuaded by him. Like there was this ability that he had to create uh, uh, an environment, a context, and the words that he used could be extremely persuasive, but, you, but I never felt like I was being persuaded. It, I, and I think that there's some kind of, I, I'm going to use the word magic, but I think it's just a, a higher order of skills when it comes to uh, mirroring back who I, you know, who I was, that he did it so successfully that I didn't even realize that I was, you know, being, that I was in, engaged in this. I just thought, we're just, we're just doing this together. But really, he, he was kind of pulling me along. Well, it, that's the power of a wonderful story. It, yeah. it sucks you in. 
it it you don't you you're processing your skepticism part of your brain kind of gets shut down and the story living piece of your brain gets activated and you just get engrossed within what is being said and that is the power of that story from my perspective when you have a list of information you automatically go into uh, comparative mode. You you go into the skeptical uh, aspect of this of saying, "All right, do I believe that fact? Do I do I believe this? Do, you know, what does how does that compare to this other fact that I know here? How are we doing that?" It's this con- contemplative, very rational piece. When we get into stories, we are we are brought into a different world sometimes, and that aspect of that comparison, looking away, is gone because we're trying to understand what is the next piece of the story. It's like, it's pulling us in a good, it's like when you read a good book, right? You want to turn to that next page. It's the same thing with a story. So, yeah. And that wouldn't happen without, you know, Shlomi spent a fair amount of time on authenticity. Uh, The message is to some degree, the messenger, right? Even in visual storytelling. And so uh, when uh, he used the example of Dove, the, Oh yeah company and the uh, sketches example. That was, uh, and Justin Trudeau, both of those really rank as great examples of authenticity. Justin Trudeau's pauses when being asked about Trump, the using the uh, staying true to Dove's brand and staying true to sort of who they are to bring out sort of the inner inner light, the inner beauty of the, the customers that they serve was really cool. And that makes a big difference, right? Then it, I think that authenticity is part of the gateway that gets us into engaging uh, in the story as a mirror. Right. And and for those of you who are listening, who have not gone out and, and Googled those, um, they're in, we'll put them in the, we'll put links in, in the show notes, but really highly, highly recommend that you go out. The, the Dove sketches is just fantastic from a visual perspective, but the story, the way that they lay it out, because you don't fully understand what's going on as you're starting to watch it. And so you're curious, you're seeing how it goes, but there's this visual element to it. Just fascinating uh, as, as to, again, how they bring you into the story. And then the ultimate message that that comes out of it, I think is, is fantastic. So uh, yeah, I think all of that. Yeah, and I just want to wrap this up with his uh, comment about show versus tell. As a songwriter, um, I don't know if you remember, but but he said, you know, it's important for us to use words that are showing rather than telling. And the difference is, you know, between uh, the man was stressed, you know, just saying, stating that, and uh, gosh, that that man was fidgeting and biting his fingernails, you know. Yeah. The first is the tell. The second is the show. And as a songwriter, that's important to me. And and find that people are much, they they like songs better that have more show, like the man was biting his fingernails and fidgeting, uh, than they like than the tell. In fact, if you listen to a song that's got a lot of tell in it, it's really boring. And mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think songs are great short stories, so it's easy to to be more critical and to think, wow, I've got three minutes and 20 seconds to engage this person. I don't have, you know, 90 minutes like a movie has. So. Well, you have to think about how our brains process that. So visually, you can, for those people who can visualize things, unlike me, they can, you can visualize what a man, is, you know, fidgeting and biting his fingernails looks like. 
stress can be one of thousands of different ways. And because you have this, you know, all of these choices of what stress is, your brain doesn't necessarily go there visually, right. yet it does when you're showing. So, yeah, exactly. so it, it brings you to that point. Yeah. All right. What else? Uh, let's see. Uh, glanced at my notes here. Uh, how about context matters? No, context doesn't matter. Favorite thing to talk. My favorite thing to talk. <laughs> oh, I know you're not getting bored of it. Well, are you? Are you getting bored of it? You're not getting context bored. matters. Why would I ever get bored of context matters? Because it is, it, it is the underlying, I think, principle of behavioral science in, in my point of view. It's that context is a big piece of why we respond the way we do to a variety of different factors. Anyway, let's, uh, what are you talking, what about from, from Shlomi's perspective here? Social semiotics. What the hell does social semiotics mean? Oh, th this was a new term uh, to me. And of course, I, I always love, you know, learning new terms, especially when somebody like Shlomi just throws it out like, oh, everybody knows what social semiotics is. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to learn about that. So uh, so it, it, it's the study of social dimensions of meaning. Right. Okay. It, it, it helps it, to give you an example. It's like the way we interpret a, a photo of a person wearing a headset depends on whether we work in a call center or with a bunch of DJs. If we work with a bunch of DJs, like if I've got a gig as a DJ at night um, and I see a picture of someone with a headset, it's going to be more likely that I'm going to put my own context around that. I'm going to give a social meeting to that. That is, oh, that's probably another DJ. But if if I work in a call center and I see people around me all, all, all the time with headsets on doing customer care or something like that, I might think, well, that's a call center person if in the, in the photo with the headset. Uh, and that just informs us. And so these, these, uh, the social dimension and the, the contextual dimension of how we give meaning to things is always, is always on play, right? This is why priming is so uh, important to us. All right. Um, yeah. And so I, I just thought it was fascinating that he's thinking about it in specifically in the context of, of telling the story. Yeah, and, and to that point, there are some cultural aspects that we understand how the story in your area or your country or your cultural aspect uh, can play. And so you can, you can pull on those for your story. Mm -hmm. So again, you think about America and, and the religiosity that, that we have here. And so you can pull some things from the Christian tradition uh, because everybody will have a understanding about that. You can do the same thing for a variety of different things. It's why the, if we go back to a different you know, uh, interview we had, you know, don't mess with Texas, oh, you right. know, work right. that story right? Which is, it's kind of a very short, short story, but it has that, that social dimension to it about what it means to be a Texan. And, you know, you don't mess with Texas. And so there are some really cool aspects of how that can get put into play. And so as you're thinking about, you know, from a perspective of if you're in business or even just in your personal life of trying to apply this, how is your story uh, taking those those contextual cues, those social dimensions into play. 
Right, right, and 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 context matters. Well, you talk about religiosity, uh, it, the the Christian Bible, and common to uh, Judaism as well. Thou shalt not kill. And by the way, thou shalt not kill is available in pretty much every every major religion around the world. Right? It's religions always prosper when more people are around doing them. So, <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't help to kill them. But but there's there's this message about don't kill other people, and yet. Also, every religion has figured out a way to defend the idea that uh, if there's war or executions of criminals, that that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, so context does matter. With uh, so it's not we're very little in our world is not context depend, uh, dependent. And I think that the social semiotics is pretty great around that. Right. And I love the he was talking about Avenue Three. Right, um, the the initiative that he was talking about in Miami, uh, looking at um, focusing on homelessness, but reducing crime, reduce homelessness, redesign downtown, and again bringing that to light through the stories. I just thought that was fascinating. Right. Yeah. Now we're gonna have a link in uh, in the show notes to their their first video, and it's tr- it's tremendously powerful stuff. Yeah. To have the context and getting back to our first comment around authenticity and the messenger is the message to hear a homeless person saying, this has been my journey. This is, this is my journey from when I was a kid in, in grade school to high school, to when I dropped out to what, what my life has been like to hear that uh, the sound of someone's voice is pretty powerful stuff. So, well, and you think about it from the perspective too of that identifiable victim, right? So the st- you can talk about the stats and the facts all day long, and it's not going to have the emotional response that you have from hearing that one individual or the thousand and one individual stories because those are personal. Those are about somebody that you can identify with that you go, oh, their story isn't the concept that I thought it would be or that somehow I can identify that I could have been that person. And that goes back to that mirror that we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. 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 Uh, Anything else on that, Kurt? Uh, Just this idea that music uh, heightens the experience of the story. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I thought you might like to to groove on that. Is that, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah, hell yes, right? Because, uh, I mean, uh, given that music and art go back like 40,000 years, you know, sort of the modern human DNA it dates back to that period. I think it's pretty cool that it's really old and necessary and that, of course, it's going to kind of go together. Uh, I cannot imagine seeing, I, oh, first of all, I can't imagine listening to a podcast without some kind of music in it. I can't imagine any uh anything uh, from a visual perspective, any movie TV show without a soundtrack of some kind. Well, yeah. And again, think about Jaws without the, uh, the scary music that it has. Think about, think about Star Wars without the Imperial March. You, you have these music pieces that underscore the, the 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 cinematography right and and add an emotional element in i was watching I forget what i was watching the other day but i was watching it with my daughter and it was really it was one of it was a action hero thing and there was some you know scary parts in it 
but the scariness I realized that even before the scary part actually happened, the music was bringing it. I could see my daughter getting more scared and, and it wasn't because anything was being actually on screen yet or that the story had gotten there. It was leading up to it, but the music was coming in slowly and it was building up that tension and building up that suspense. And you knew something was happening. You could see she was starting to pull her blanket tighter around her. Uh, and it was very, very, yeah. Scary scene actually occurred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Friday the 13th was a, a movie that gets heralded as having a very, uh, very solid soundtrack from this idea of bringing in some predictable images and uh, soundtrack things that they use these themes, just like you said, like the Imperial March uh, in, in Star Wars, you know, Darth Vader is going to going to walk through the door as soon as yeah. you the imperial march you know yeah so you're primed already yeah the music is priming you and and setting an emotional element of that right and and what is it the the spaghetti westerns right and the good the bad and the ugly with the i can't do it you can do it you (laughs) can you can do the whistle n-e-r marconi yeah, exactly. Exactly. That whistle. Ennio Marcone uh, just died recently. And man, those movies wouldn't be the same without those those cheap, you know, sounding um, effects, basically. But well, they characterize the film. Well, and I think what's really interesting, too, is that uh, I think really good movies, and this goes off, off tangent here for a bit, but that's what we do. Uh really good movies not only use the music, but they use the silence as well. Yeah. And so it's this idea of the combination of the music and the silence that comes around with it and and having something totally silent is really interesting in, in and of itself. And I, I will go back, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big basketball fan and I, this isn't a movie. And again, I'm going off on a tangent, but uh, I have season tickets to the Timberwolves, the the NBA team that's here in, in Minneapolis have had them for years and years and years and years. And uh, one of the things that bothers me is that they have music going on almost the entire game. Oh, yeah. And so even as the players are playing, the music continues, the tip-off goes, the music is still playing, it gets lower, but it's still playing in the background and then they have other things coming in. And it's a very different experience uh, when they don't have the music playing and you're just hearing either the crowd, which you can hear a lot, um, and, and, and when they're not having somebody on the, on the loudspeaker as well, right? Or you can actually hear the, the, the gameplay itself. Right where you're hearing the sneakers squeak on the on the court, you're you know hearing the. Sometimes you can you know uh, hear the players yell. Uh, it's a very different experience when you're not having that musical undertow. And to a degree, I think basketball probably needs to have more of the silence and less of the music um, than they do. But that's a whole aside. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, Kenny Loggins, many years ago, before he his career kind of erupted with Highway to the Danger Zone and Footloose and a bunch of really crappy stuff, pop, I should say pop stuff. That, that were all part of movies. 
that we're all part of movies. Yeah, <laughs> right. Footloose. You know, uh, what was the? Yeah, highway the, to the, that was um, uh, Top Gun. Top Gun. There you go. He uh, he said that his songwriting he needed to explore something in his songwriting, and that was the 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 silence between the notes. Mm. There was a point in time where he was like, "I'm so focused on the notes that I'm not actually thinking about what happens between the notes." And there's a musical experience that happens between the notes as well. And you yeah. could actually trace that back to to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, that ba 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 ba, and then there's this tiny pause before it goes to the second one, ba 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 ba. You know, it, there's this that tiny little moment between there, you know, causes us to just go, "Well, what's next?" And yeah. It's a pretty fascinating and fabulous little technique. Um, but speaking of music, I have a, a, a question for you. Of course. So uh, do you think, uh, in what circumstances do you think that music communicates more effectively than words do? Are there situations that you think we, we really actually can do a better job of understanding or feeling or whatever with music rather than with, um, with words? I don't know if we can say better, um, but I do know that um, music is very powerful in times of grieving, right? So I, 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 the number of times I've gone to a funeral and, you know, lasted pretty well throughout the, the funeral when the, you know, preachers up there, whoever's up there, you know, kind of giving a eulogy or whatever it would be. Uh, and then they go into a song and I just totally break down because there's some emotional pull of the music, maybe the lyrics, whatever it would be that are just powerful that pull that out of you. And so I think there's this aspect of, of grieving that music can have a powerful part. I know I, I have songs that I, when my, when my father died, uh, there were I had to drive three hours back to Iowa um, while he was still in the hospital, and I remember having a, uh, a really uh, uh, soundtrack in that was just really powerful. And um, to this day, when I put it on, I I, I go back to that. Was so it, I think there was the music healing, or did it did it just um, you know uh, heighten or exacerbate the the sadness that you were feeling uh it was it 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 took me into the feeling so it wasn't healing right uh it wasn't healing in the sense that it was this idea of of coming back you know around and that everything's going to be all right it was this um you know idea of you know having the sorrow that is there and and just being in that sorrow for that moment um and and so you 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 lived with that and that was it was necessary at that point for me right it was this moment in time i i also remember uh, again going back to an, another time this isn't grieving over death but this was grieving mm -hmm. i had a you know a long-term relationship that you know she broke up with me and and i was feeling all depressed and down yeah, and yeah, and and I remember I would listen to Tori Amos um, almost nightly. That was my fall asleep music, um, and and it was just this idea that 
uh, it wasn't healing and it wasn't necessarily bad, but it just allowed me to get into whatever that get past it. And it was that it was the, again, every time I, uh, little earthquakes, I, you know, I, I listened to that album. It brings me back to being in the attic, uh, for those three or four months after the breakup of where I, where I lived. So that's interesting. Well, I, I, I was curious about this and found a 2004 study that was looking at how we remember things. Mm. And, uh, and the authors found that, that music and words uh, are pretty similar when it comes to our ability to remember things, that, that music isn't necessarily better, words aren't necessarily better, that we'll remember them about equally. But what, struck, what strikes me about your, your comments there, Kurt, is that there might be a heightening of the emotion mm-hmm. or, or especially in a celebration or a, you know, uh, you know, you gave the example of, of being at a funeral, you know, there's a kind of a darkness about that, that, that the music can take you deeper than the words can take you. And in a celebratory thing, I think when, when things are really good, you know, when things are, are happening at a, at a game, that's great. You can applaud, but getting everybody to stand up and dance around and sing you know, is even better, right. Or to have a great song that goes along with that celebration can be. Exactly. Yeah. So. Well, and, and, and going back to the basketball piece, right? There are certain songs where it's almost the call and response songs, right? The uh, what's the, you know, oh, I forget what they are now. You should know this because you're the musician of, of, of the pair here. Mm-hmm. Um, Thinking about these play songs and I'm, I'm anyway there's there, there are these call and response songs that everybody knows that you they, they play and then you cheer something or you say something it's like um and, and they play those specifically to get people engaged engaged and activated and so it, it, it draws you in so yeah. all right with that should we end this I think we all, right. Should. I think we should. all right well stick around uh i'll be i'll be giving you a bonus track here just after this Hey Groovers, this is Kurt with the bonus track and the groove idea for our conversation with Shlomi Ron. We first talked about the importance of stories and how humans have used stories for about as long as we've been human. Stories are the most effective or one of the most effective uh, ways of communicating and they're most effective when they have a visual aspect to them and they are mirrors to what we already feel and who we are as individuals. This may be why the video of George Floyd being killed by a Minneapolis police officer was so meaningful and so powerful. It was a mirror of the experience that many people of color have already lived in their lives and it showcased for those who haven't experienced it what it would really be like. The second thing we discussed was about context or what Shlomi referred to as social semiotics. Semiotics is the study of the way signs and signals have uh, meaning and social semiotics is about how those signs and signals work in a specific social context. As you probably heard Tim and I discuss on other episodes of Behavior Grooves, context matters. The point that Shlomi was trying to make is this, that the images, symbols, and signals that we use in our visual storytelling matter a great deal. The context helps us understand the meaning of the symbol or the image or the experience. Lastly, Shlomi reminded us that music gives storytelling an added boost that we often take for granted. If you try to watch a movie without any sound, you'll immediately get the idea that the soundtrack 
makes a huge difference in how we experience the movie. And that leads us to our groove idea for the week. When you're telling a story, either at work or to persuade your boss that your new plan is perfect or at home to instruct your kids on how to stay six feet apart from other kids at the playground, ask yourself if you're using the right words for the context. In other words, talking to your kids doesn't mean you need to use kid words, but it does mean that the semiotics, the symbols, images, and signs that you use need to be meaningful to them. On one hand, you want your listener to remember your words, but more importantly, you want them to remember the importance of the message. You want them to remember the story. So what Tim and I are suggesting is to try to use words or images that engage your audience, whether it's at home or on a Zoom call, and use a story to let people understand what you're trying to convey. And let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear stories about your stories. So share with those, share that with us, right? Uh, and with that, Groovers, we wrap up another episode of Behavior Grooves. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we hope you take a moment to leave that quick review. Now go out and have a great week. Mm-hmm.